This podcast is a part of CGN Media, a podcast network that points to Christ. We are supported by listeners like you. To help us create more great shows, visit cgnmedia.org support. So let's just get through the competency stuff. Okay, you can preach a pretty good sermon or you can send emails, you can organize your time, you can lead a team, you can do a bit of, I don't know, graphic design, you can put a website together. Let's ignore that stuff. That stuff is all secondary. Hey, how are you mm. doing with the Lord Jesus? Mm. What is God working in you at the moment where can we see the fruit of the spirit how's your love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control and so to get through some of the kind of external stuff and then go for the internal and i love to i'm obviously indebted to tim keller and others on this but just the kind of heart idol stuff as well okay if, are you a comfort guy are you an approval guy are you a power mm. guy or are you a control guy? Which of those four most resonate with you? Okay, you're an approval guy, huh? Well, how's that going to influence you as you plant? How are you putting that to death? How are you seeking to know that the approval of the Lord Jesus is so much more important than the approval of others? Or, or okay, you're a control guy, that's concerning. Okay, how are you going to trust him when you're out of control? What does your wanting to control situations look like? How are you tempted to do that? And just being more aware of mm. just honest, real conversations about yeah. how you're really doing rather than anyone can fill out a form and you right. know, do, go through the assessment, but actually just digging a bit and digging a bit and digging a bit to get under the, we are the kind of proverbial onion, aren't we? And just opening it, okay, well, okay let, we're getting a bit more real now. And, yeah. and making sure those conversations come early on rather mm. than once the plant has happened or right. once it's all gone pear-shaped and awful but actually yeah. just to get in a bit and go try and as far as you can assess what's really going on behind mm. all right on the podcast today is dan Steele, pastor dan Steele. he is located in oxford and he did a statistical analysis on why church plants fail. And I'm so excited to get to talk to Dan about that. But we're going to start off with thank you for being on the show, first of all. And what was your first experience in church planting? Cody, thank you. It's a real genuine privilege to be able to talk to you this afternoon. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your kind welcome as well. And just the chance to get to know you before things kicked off. I'm Dan Steele. I'm a pastor, as you say, based in Oxford. But my first actually experience of church planting was, I think, in about September 1999. I think that's right. We were newly married to my wife, Zoe. So that's, that's going to be 25 years this coming summer. And we were part of, a, I guess you would call it a core team. We didn't know it was called that. But there were maybe 17 of us. I remember through August, it would have been August, there were four Sundays in someone's front room. I remember the green carpets. I remember sitting on wooden chairs and thinking through, what does it mean to be church? I, yeah, that was my first experience of a church plant, let alone being a part of a church plant. And then from there, we, after a time, came on staff with that church. We went to seminary and then after seminary, we went to a place called Oak Hill. After being at seminary, we actually came back to Birmingham, which is where that initial plant was. And we planted from that mother church a church called Grace Church. So yeah, 24, 25 years of being around and about different church plants has, has been an extraordinary, brilliant, complicated, hard time, but it's mm. been a genuine privilege, yeah. So when you were a part of that core team, 
was the idea always to be a church planter or were you going down a different path? No, I was just a, I was just one of the, as we'd say in the UK, bums on seats. I was just part of the congregation. I had no idea that I would end up longer term in ministry. I had just finished a year working with kind of Christian unions in Birmingham, UCF, as we call it in the UK, or into varsity um, around the world. And I'd done one year for them as a sort of intern thing. And then the plan was to go and do, I guess, secular work, some kind of real world experience, get a job. And I ended up working in market research, which we will come on to in a bit. But I worked in market research for a number of years, working with different clients. The plan longer term, I think, was how maybe we'll consider ministry somewhere down the line. But that wasn't a definite. That was written in pencil, praying, testing, trying out different things, seeing if the Lord had gifted me for that. But yes, yeah, things became clearer as time went on. How did, how did it become clearer with, in regards to you knowing that God was calling you into doing a church plant? The plant thing is interesting. It was more ministry, actually. So part of being a part of this church plant, I was given opportunity and an encouragement to try gifts. I used to lead a small group Bible study with my wife, and increasingly they gave me an opportunity to test gifts of preaching. And this just church plant ended up being a resource church that would send younger guys around Birmingham to go and plant in different pulpits and uh, open God's word up and be a blessing to some of these older congregations, some of whom were quite small, but they were really encouraged by having a younger generation to come and open God's word up. And then I guess as that gets tested and tried, then the local church leaderships and my elders said, hey, maybe we need to think about, think about employing you or whether this would be the direction of travel for you. And as it happened, the plant was given a grant for employing a, a student worker, they called it, or an assistant pastor for students. Birmingham is quite a high student population. And so we had a number mm. of students coming and I was set apart and paid to, uh, to help set up a student ministry. And then from there, I went to get some formal theological training, but I think it was just, yeah, just that kind of dipping toes in the shallow end, trying out different opportunities to, to teach God's word, to meet up alongside people, to share the gospel with people. And I think as my elders, those above me, yeah, slowly thought, hang on, maybe we need to be thinking through longer term, whether you ought to be in, in longer term paid ministry. So that, that's how we got there. How we got planting was quite different. I was at seminary and actually we'd planned to do three years, which is the norm for us. But the leaders of our ascending church came and visited and said, hey, listen, we can't fit everybody in our school hall anymore. And we are, I didn't use this word, but we're hemorrhaging people. And so we think we need to plant another church from us. Mm. Um, and so we wonder whether you might come back essentially a year early and plant a daughter church from, from City Church, Birmingham. We call it a Grace Church. So we ended up coming back to Birmingham in 2006 and then Easter 2007, Grace Church launched and it's thriving, still thriving now, but how many years ago that is, that's quite a long time mm. ago now. But uh, so we hadn't planned to plant, but it was them coming down and saying, would we consider it? Because there was a real need. I think because we'd seen a plant happen, because in terms of I think gifts and skill set. I'm a kind of a generalist in different ways, so I can do all kinds of things. Not to a very high standard, but I can do all <laughs> kinds of things. And so we ended up coming back early and planting Grace Church. I was full-time. There was another guy who was part-time, and actually he then attended seminary while part-time. And Grace Church 
by God's grace is still is thriving and growing and has planted churches itself. Yeah. Yeah. So a kind of surprise planter, slightly a reluctant planter. There weren't many people planting in 2006, 2007. I got my hands on a copy of what, what is now, I guess, Center Church, but was a kind of ring bound volume from Tim Keller's crew in, in New York. I still got that somewhere at home and I thumbed through that and tried to digest all that I could and try and understand mm. what is this church planting thing. But yeah, we were reading whatever we could and, and God was very kind to us. That's awesome. So when you were, when you, those first years of Grace Church was, yeah. how was that for you? Cause you were experiencing, you were participating in a church plant unknowingly yeah. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you're proactively planting a church yeah. and then you transition even from proactively planting a church to then proactively raising up leaders and sending them out to plant a church. So how yeah. was that process for you? I look back and actually it was. I'm 45 now and I would have been late twenties, early thirties. And I look back and see it as a real kind of golden period in lots of ways. I think again, God was very kind. We were quite young. We didn't really have much of an idea. We'd seen it done and we can read some books, but actually you're in at the deep end. There wasn't this sort of assessment stuff you get now, at least not in the UK. There weren't the sort of support networks around us. I think one thing that we did in hindsight, we did very well was that there were two of us doing it. So planting can be quite lonely. It can be, you can feel quite isolated. You feel like you're on your own. And the fact that we had um, me full-time, a guy called Andy part-time, and then another guy actually called Mike, he was just, uh, if you like, a, a lay elder, a non-staff elder. The fact that they're particularly Andy and I were able to meet together every day and pray for each other. And we're quite different. We're still good friends now, but we're quite different in terms of our temperament and personality. And so there was a kind of complementarity there through the different gifting. Maybe he's more, I think, a visionary, pioneering, go-getter guy on law, slightly slower, kind of pastoral, people perhaps. Then actually, we just, I think, work really well together. Mm. So that was one thing that worked really well. The other stuff was just learning, and it's been my experience ever since, from an early age and stage, that God is just very kind with our weakness. And it's okay to be honest about our weakness. It's okay to say we don't know what to do or, Lord, we can't do this. Because he, again and again, equipped us for the tasks that he called us to. And again, yeah, I look back with hindsight and think, man, he saved us from so many kind of dead ends and blind alleys. So much of what we did was, it doesn't mean it wasn't difficult and there weren't complications, but so much of what we did, I, I could just see he, he guided us and he blessed us. So one thing, for example, we were looking for a place to meet Weird, like many people do, we put all our members of City Church on a map of Birmingham. And you saw there was a cluster in a particular area near where we used to live before we'd gone to seminary. And we thought, how oh, maybe that's a place. Now, are there any other gospel churches there? Not really. There's actually a small brethren assembly, but they just meet on a morning. We had sent pulpit supply for them. So we got to know yeah. them a bit and we went to chat to them and said, hey, listen, yeah, please don't take, yeah, don't take it as a criticism or anything. But we wondered whether we might use your building on an afternoon because we'd like to start a small congregation here. We've got a number of people who live nearby and city churches hemorrhaging people. There's not enough space. And so we're going to carve a few off them. There were 36 of us as adults, I think. And they said, yeah, we'd love to host you and you'd be very welcome. Anyway, to cut a long story short, they ended up essentially closing down and joining us. And, oh, wow. And you can just see, again, the Lord's kindness in providing a building for us and then eventually providing lots of wisdom and gray hair and an older generation who had just been through the mill and done the Christian life for 50, 60, 70 years. We were in our 20s and 30s. They were in their 
60s, 70s, 80s largely. And then a few teenagers too, which was weird. But it just seemed that what we needed, they provided. And indeed, what they needed, in many senses, we provided. And so that's still, if you like, a kind of church marriage now. We, we began by dating and then we, we ended up combining formally through forming a new charity, essentially. Yeah, so it was complicated. It was hard. The Lord was kind in our weakness. He showed his strength and his kindness. And yeah, and here we are now, really. You guys transitioned into sending people out. And how did you go through that criteria? Because that was, what years were you doing that? And did you have a set program or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So I should say, I ended up actually leaving in 2011 and coming down to Oxford, which is where I am now. The story behind that was... As he so often does, it seems, the Lord put us through some really hard times just before we were planting. So my dad died six months or so before, before the plant launched, so November 2006, which meant we began to think, hey, we're going to plant this thing and we're going to see it thrive, but I wonder whether we need to relocate to be near a family. We were struggling to do young family life. We had mm. three kids at the time, three young kids at the time. That's complicated. Then we had... Church ministry, that's complicated. And then we had a kind of responsibility in the Oxford region that we weren't really keeping up with. And so juggling all three things, we just thought maybe longer term, we need to be nearer the Oxford region. We need to look after widows, 1 Timothy 5. We need to, to love our family well. And so we then began looking for jobs once we felt Grace Church was thriving. We began to hand over the more the responsibility to the other guy who was part-time. Which means as we planted, as Grace Church planted its two churches, the process had started while we were there, but we weren't mm. the planters. I think whenever I'm thinking about training others and training up others, I've got always got taught and caught in my mind. So there's a formal teaching, there's a sitting down, there's doing Bible study, there's chatting stuff through formal and informal conversation, teaching, reading books, discussing books, discussing content. But as well as the talk stuff, there's the court stuff. So it's a come follow. Come see not just my strengths, but my weaknesses as well. Come and learn. And so both of the planters who eventually went from Grace Church were individuals who were brought onto the eldership, who were invested in, who were raised up and then sent out. Yeah. So that kind of mix. One of them had been to seminary and so done a sort of residential elsewhere and come back to Birmingham. The other one did seminary along the way. So was studying with, I think Crosslands is a kind of in-person. So you can stay where you are in ministry and do like a couple of days a week as part of a cohort. Yeah. So that was kind of how we did it. I, I don't know if we did a brilliant job. We've done a similar thing here. So at Morton Road, where I'm now, again, we've planted two, formally planted two. And again, a, a similar thing in, in, in one way, another, again, investing in through teaching, but also time. Mm. I think we're still learning how to do that. I can talk a bit about that in a bit as to, to how those, all those plants have done. Yeah. Some have thrived, some have struggled a bit. And that's okay. It's good to learn from where we've not done stuff brilliantly. And I think yeah. we need to put our hands up and say, yeah, we didn't do that as well as we might, or we didn't do that as, yeah, but that's okay. So during that time where you're, you're discussing how you were going through a lot. There was a lot of transition. There was a lot of change. There was a lot of desire to be there for family. There was your own family, immediate kids, yeah, small yeah. kids, yep. church ministry, yep. family, church family life as well. Was there somebody in your life that you were going to as far as like mentorship or somebody who you can carry that burden with you as well? 
Yes. Yeah. No, definitely. I think the other guy who was leading with me, so Andy, I think that was more of a kind of peer-to-peer thing. But yeah, our families are still close. Our wives are close. Our kids are close. So there was definitely a sort of sense of community there. We were linked as well with an elder from the mother church. So city church, as we started our own elders meetings as Grace Church, then he would come along and advise and speak, but not speak too much. I think wanted to let us learn. And some of that only comes from making your own mistakes and going round and round the houses slightly and then coming to a consensus. Um, but a guy called Neil, who's now involved with a thing called the London Project, again, is a, with kind of city to city based in London. So he was, he's still a good friend, but he is probably the guy, particularly who I'd think was the kind of person to chew it over and to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back on that time at Grace Church, What would you say would be like your most valuable lesson as far as a church planter is concerned? What was the most valuable lesson you learned? I think probably as I've already mentioned that it's okay to be weak. We don't need to hide our weakness. We don't need to pretend we're somebody we're not. We don't need to. I think there can be a kind of bravado amongst planters where sort of alpha chest out guys who give the impression that we've got all the answers and we are omnicompetent and omni everything but the sooner you can admit to yourself to your fellow leaders and indeed to your church family that you're not those things and that you need others and we're meant to be a body we're meant to be a family we need each other and we need the lord then i think probably looking back that was that was when some of those lessons some of the yeah those pennies began to drop if you like i think that's what i'd remember because, yeah, we just prayed a lot and tried to be wise and mm. tried things. And sometimes you can try things and they, don't, and they don't work. You try a particular ministry or you try a particular outreach event. and Okay, that didn't quite work here, but we've learned some other stuff from that. We've learned maybe how this area works and how we can reach this area. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just think, yeah, the more, the sooner planters can admit they're not all that. And they can just you know, be honest about weakness and be honest about the need of others, the better from my perspective. That's so true. And that's something that we talk on this podcast quite often about is just the fact that transparency is so needed in this space, not only in this space, but in church life as a whole. Yeah. The pastor needs to be really transparent about the fact that he's not sinless. He's not perfect. Yeah. He's not yeah. the incarnate Christ. He is a man who fails and who struggles and who has weak points and is in need of the body just as much as any congregational member. So I absolutely uh, agree with that. And if he doesn't model that, mm. then, then the church won't believe that. I don't mm. think you, you can say you guys are all weak and you need each other, but actually he needs to, first and foremost, before he's pastor or a shepherd or any of that or an elder or he's a brother and therefore he's yeah. on the same level um, we are both shepherds and sheep first and foremost you got yeah, i'm a sheep and i'm yeah mm. i need you and you need me and that's the way the lord made it that's a good thing right yeah yeah you're just you're just the sheep that that the lord put in charge of the other sheep for this period of time yeah. in this specific yeah. place and uh, it's so liberating to be able mm. to say I can be myself. I don't have to try and pretend to be someone that I'm not. I'd have to try and pretend to be super pastor, that pastor down the road who's, who does seem to be omnicompetent or who's a, an 11 out of 10 preacher or whatever it is. But, but I just get to be me and that's okay. The Lord's made me that way. And 
in his sovereign plans and purposes. That is a good thing for this place at this time. Yeah. 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 So true. Good word. So you wrote this comprehensive report on why church plants fail. And I say that not in jest. I think that what you did and what you wrote was incredibly challenging for a previous church planter as well as the future church planter and challenging in the sense of recognizing church plants fail, right? They're not this black sheep that we can't talk about. They're, they're something that needs to be talked about and have a conversation, have an open dialogue about the fact that church plants do fail and why do they fail? But I want to ask you, why write this? (laughs) What was the driving factor for you to take this statistical analysis and really get all this information from these previous church planters and put it into this context? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I can answer that in different ways. There was a, I was running, run, I run around Oxford. I try and it helps me unwind, helps me mentally, physically. And I was listening to a podcast on writing and I'm not particularly a writer, but I'm interested how people write. I write sermons most weeks and so just intrigued by the kind of the process of writing and others. And the podcaster, a guy called Jeff Meadows said, ask the question, the hypothetical question, if you were to do some kind of a project now what would you do? What would your writing project be? And I can tell you exactly where I was just on the ring road of Oxford, just by a place called Boars Hill. I'm about to cross the main road. And and my knee-jerk response without even thinking was I would speak to struggling planters, find out why they're struggling and see if we can analyze what it is about our planting process that, that means people are in trouble, that plants are failing. And I sat with that for a while. So I thought someone's done that. Someone's bound to have done that. And I spent a year trying to find the person who had done that and nobody has. And everybody I spoke to actually said, oh yeah, you should do that. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) So there's that element there that it just felt like the Lord kind of popped it in my head in a, just a weird way. And I tried to wrestle against it, but 12 to 18 months later, it went into field and then COVID happened. So I ended up with a year of pastors in their rooms willing to talk to me and willing to fill out forms and share their stories. (laughs) Now, the other side to the answer is what do you get if you cross um, a church planter, a market researcher and a church planting pastor and so a pastor who then sends other planters. And I guess you get me in one sense. Those are all three elements of who I am and I guess who I have been in the last 20 years. And so I like numbers. I like to do research projects. I like to get stuff back and analyze that and see how the numbers tell a story. And I guess the other element to the answer is, do you know, I've got friends who are struggling in planting and thinking, yeah, that's really sad. And Mm. I can see that they're hurting. And I want to be able to, if I can, slightly reshape how we plant so that there isn't the same uh, failure rate, perhaps. So there's a personal element to, and our plants thrived, but of the two that Grace Church then planted, one, one struggled and ended up coming back. And then the other one is doing well. Similar here in Oxford, actually, we've planted two and one has thrived and one has struggled for different reasons, but to be able to get some data from some of those friends and ended up with kind of 80, 80 studied, 80 plants from around the world Wow! and able to pull some of the threads together and come up with 12 kind of 12 different ideas, different reasons. It's never just one. It's always 
uh, I think it's about 3.2 or 3.3 or something like that. It's an, each struggling plant has got a number of different threads, but generally mm. around three different things together. Yeah. yeah, so that's kind of where it came from. I, I wasn't expecting it in the Lord's kindness. He seems to have used it. It seems like he's, yeah, opened up various opportunities to talk to different groups and different people and different networks. Mm. I think there's a generosity and people are wanting to learn. People are wanting to... Yeah, it feels like there's less competition between different church planting tribes and networks and just that's genuinely we want we want to see the Lord's kingdom grow and so we yeah. want you to thrive we, yeah as you want us to thrive mm. and this has helped a bit with that so yeah there we go yeah no and what a blessing that we're at that place in in church culture now we've transitioned out of this you're over there I'm over here yep. you stay in your lane I'll stay in my lane and God bless us both to where, no, God needs to bless us collectively together and what you have strengths in and I might have weaknesses in, let's work together and figure yeah. that out. So I think that we're in a unique time in church planting history yeah, yeah, yeah. as far as figuring out how can we best serve the kingdom of God, doing the mission of God yeah. for the people of God. So you split this, this data into two different categories, yep. problems within and yep. problems without. So what did you find when you were asking these questions with these church planters? What were some of the problems that came up from within? Yeah, I think it's fair to say, and I think it's a fair comment, that there have been seasons of, of church planting networks, a breadth of planting networks, who seem to prioritize competency over character. So that's a key one, I think, that individuals recognize both in the short term and the long term that they had they had stuff they hadn't dealt with they had stuff going on inside them or character issues that that both in the short term and the long term caused the plant to struggle so maybe it's pride maybe it's a pride that leads to overwork or under delegation or an inability to deal well with conflict or critique and because they were the all singing all dancing competent generalist planter then the kind of character issue was not, yeah, was not addressed well enough. No, I'm loosely involved with the Acts 29 planting network in GB in Ireland. And that's one of the things we're really trying to work on. I know Acts 29 more generally are thinking quite carefully about how do we prioritize character, godly character, the fruit of the spirit over competence. So there's one. Another one, interesting, I had a conversation with a guy today who's a part of a small plant and he's just ended up being left holding the reins, if you like, because his boss has stepped down. But he, one of the things he's finding, and it's resonated with the study, he wasn't part of the study, but it's just interesting listening to people as they talk. There's a sort of disunity in the early days is such, mm. a, such an important thing. Disunity in a big church is complicated and painful, but if you're in a smaller church, then all the more so, it's so easy to fragment. And often, not often, but sometimes when planting happens, it's different churches sending different people to try and reach a particular region or particular area or parish. And so you've already got opportunities for division there because you're coming from that church and you're coming from that church and your theology is fairly well aligned, but maybe there's a few differences or your mm. philosophy of ministry or hang on, your church culture that you're a part of is so different. Then when things are a small, there's a real fragility. And therefore, it's just quite dangerous. So we saw a number of times we saw disunity being such a yeah, such an important thing early on. I should say, I'm happy to. I'll send a copy of the of the study, or you've got a copy of the study. So just feel free if you've got show notes, feel free to put them up. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I'm so happy for that to get out there. I, my, my prayer all along has been that the Lord would use it. And it's, it's genuinely not me. He just seems to have blown it along. And as far as it can be useful, that's fantastic. So people can go on and read some of the others. One other one, particularly, I think it's just the pressure on family, whether that be a spouse or your kids. Planting can be kind of ministry on steroids, if you like. You could fill your whole week with it. There's so much you have to do potentially. And so just that tension then that can grow within the church planter's marriage or within the family home. And suddenly the kids are like, hang on, we didn't sign up for this or whatever right. it might be. And so the stress and pressure of planting on a family can really mm. be complicated. So that was some of the stuff inside the church, if you like, and often inside the pastor themselves or the planter themselves. But yeah, they, they were the first half. Yeah. Um, so, so I carry on. I'm happy to talk about some of the outside the stuff or do you yeah, any absolutely. questions there? Absolutely. So I did want to, I did want to ask with, yeah, do. so of the two things, so you said planter character issues, which in this statistic, it's character issues in the beginning from the beginning is 44%. And then character issues have side effects yeah. is 24%. Yeah. With that, understanding yeah. that we, I don't want to Obviously, you did this not just for the sake of running data. It, no. It's for the purpose of how do yeah. we effectively change some of these things? Like you've mm -hmm. already stated, how do we focus on somebody's character rather yeah. than just yeah. how well equipped they are to run the day-to-day -day things? So, so. You teach that message on Sunday. So what are some yeah. things that you've started to apply in your own mentorship of church planters in this way? No, that's a really good question. And I think the answer is just being honest in terms of your heart. So let's just get through the competency stuff. Okay. You can preach a pretty good sermon or you can send emails. You can organize your time. You can lead a team. You can do a bit of, I don't know, graphic design. You can put a website together. Let's ignore that stuff. That stuff is all secondary. Hey, how are you mm. doing with the Lord Jesus? Mm. What is God working in you at the moment? Where can we see the fruit of the spirit? How's your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? And so to get through some of the kind of external stuff and then go for the internal. And I love to, I'm obviously indebted to Tim Keller and others on this, but just the kind of heart idle stuff as well. Okay. If, are you a comfort guy? Are you an approval guy? Are you a power mm. guy? Or are you a control guy? Which of those four most resonate with you? Okay. You're an approval guy, huh? Well, how's that going to influence you as you plant? How are you putting that to death? How are you seeking to know that the approval of the Lord Jesus is so much more important than the approval of others or, or, okay, you're a control guy. That's concerning. Okay. How are you going to trust him when you're out of control? What does your wanting to control situations look like? How are you tempted to do that? And just being more aware of mm. just honest, real conversations about yeah. how you're really doing rather than anyone can fill out a form and. You know, right. do go through the assessment, but actually just digging a bit and digging a bit and digging a bit to get under the, we are the kind of proverbial onion, aren't we? And just opening it. Okay. Well, okay. Let, we're getting a bit more real now and, yeah. and making sure those conversations come early on rather mm. than once the plant has happened or right. once it's all gone pear shaped and awful, but actually yeah. just to get in a bit and go try and as far as you can assess what's really going on behind mm. So would you say then that it's on the planter to prove competency, but then yeah. it's on the sending church to test character? 
Yeah, I'd want to say ascending church can need to have a level of competency as well. You might be a really godly guy, but not have the kind of gifts needed in terms of being a pastor. So you may not be able to manage your household well or, or open up the scriptures or whatever it might be. So I just think the earlier on, the sooner we can have in-depth conversations in terms of what you can do and who you really are are just really important. How do you deal with critique? How do you feel when someone comes and says to you, Oh, I wasn't sure about your third point of that sermon. Do you get defensive? Right. Why are you defensive? What's going on there? What, why do you feel the need to push back so hard? Yeah. And just to say, but that takes time. That, mm. Sometimes that, that might mean more patience. That may not mean you're going to launch in three months. That may mean you're going to launch in a year or a year and a half, because we're just going to watch you for a bit and get to know you and see you, what you're like in good times and bad times and see what you're like in not when you've just got the kind of spotlight on you, but just in, are you servant hearted? Do you, mm. are you going to serve within church? Even when you're not up front, do you serve when no one else is watching? Do you, right. who do you chat to after the service? Do you go and chat to your normal mates, your friends in your life group, or do you go and chat to the visitor or that kind of slightly weird guy who you never quite know what to say, but do you know what I mean? So do you have that kind of servant heart? And that just comes with, I think there's no shortcut for that. It just comes with time and honesty. Yes. I, I appreciate that you said that there's no shortcut because I think that we've adapted this process of how do we do things as quickly as possible and almost to our own demise, because then we send out church planters too soon, too quickly, or, yeah. or we tell them to start too quickly. I think another aspect of that is is recognizing that when you're sent out to uh, mm. plant a church, that you need to learn that area. You need to learn that culture. You need to learn that dynamic. Yep. And yep. that takes a stab at your character in yep. that, even in that saying, I'm not ready. Even when they say, go, you can go plant your church. I'm not ready because I don't know the people around me. I don't know the culture that exists around me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually that, that then ties into some of the external stuff. So mm. not just the internal, but the external. So one of which is, how does your funding model work? You might have churches who are supporting you. You might have rich, generous Christians who are supporting you. And they say, if you're not up and ready by three years, then it's not going to fly and we're going to pull back. Whereas, as you say, sometimes we just need patience. It takes mm -hmm. a lot. The ground is hard. And if you're going to get to know these people well, this area, you're going to make genuine friendships and long-term relationships. If you're going to share the gospel. Sometimes the Lord does extraordinary things overnight. I think that's probably unusual. And I think mm. that's the normal way he works. Normally it comes through weeks and months and years of conversation. And so that means that the whole system has to change. You go think, okay, mm. how do we help our funders to be more patient? How do we help our parent churches to be more patient? Everyone's in a rush. And sometimes you say, well, you, if, you, if you're going to fail, then fail quickly. But actually sometimes, particularly if you're planting in a deprived area, for example, you may be supported by outside churches or what the New Testament might call partnership. There may right. be par partnership for years, maybe even decades, maybe even forever, because the folk in your church don't have the money to support a pastor mm. and that's okay. But often we copy and paste models from right. a different context, often from urban graduates, kind of double income, no kid thing. And you go, they were financially supporting their partners in two and a half years. So you can do the same. Actually, no, come on. Let's talk about context. Contextualization right. really matters. And I think contextualization, even in the sense of 
how to plant your church. The method that you yeah, utilize yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. is essential too, because even within our context, we'll take our context for instance of being in yeah. the UK. We're not yeah. in an area, or at least I'll speak even further into context, my context. Yeah. I'm not in an area where I can throw a building up and expect 120 people to show up on a Sunday morning. I yeah. have to build relationships. I have to gain social equity where I'm at yeah. and be willing to learn where I'm at before I can do anything in regards to inviting people into a deeper conversation about theology. Now, that can happen based off of their interaction with me of understanding I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower, and they can sure. ask prompting questions in that mm -hmm. way. But I think it's so important to not copy and paste this urban idealized version of church planting or even take into account a context of planting in a context like in Asia or Africa yeah. where you know you're you're planting in an area where they understand the need and they're not coming from a rich region yeah. economically and, whereas yeah. we're in an area we're in two portions of the UK that are wealthy in yes. And yes, their question isn't what is God? Their question is, why should I look at the mm. things that I have? Look at the house that I have, the car that I have. Yes. My bank account is fine without God. So what do I need him for? And so that process is a lot different than in different yeah. regions of the world. Yeah, yeah. And I often we talk about planters being quite entrepreneurial. I don't think there are many. Actually, I don't think there are many entrepreneurial planters but i think most of us are just quite good at copying and pasting and adapting as so if just being careful that we copy paste and adapt in an appropriate way mm. for your region yeah yeah and even in the sense of calling church i've always struggled with that terminology for church planters because it just shows where we're at as far yeah. as adopting a commercialized version yeah. totally. of church in saying you have to be that entrepreneurial businessman go-getter-esque and it's hold on is that what's given to us as, as examples in the book of acts they were entrepreneurial or did they go and live out the gospel preaching the yeah. gospel calling people to repentance and establishing an eldership and group of deacons over a people oh yeah you have to, to one of the things that stood out to me too was this section no one is fully rounded when it comes to gifting, 75%. So three-fourths. And I think that's a big thing to talk about because I think that sort of echo chamber that church planters can live in of you're good, you're, you're great at this, you're great at that omnipresence, omni-everything. Yep. Omni everything can become, yeah, yeah. yeah, can become so ingrained in a church planter that it is hard to recognize your weakness. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I think as, as you asked me what I learned when we planted Grace Church, I think probably that resonates the most in that, A, you don't have to be like the planter down the road. So the kind of whole cookie cutter, I believe that'd be, there we go. There's an Americanism, a kind of cookie cutter. Everyone's the same. We're not. That's okay. It's okay for me not to be you and you not to be me. We get to be who we are and the Lord's made us. And but yeah. then as well as that, then to be honest with the core team or those particularly within your kind of core group to say, listen, this is the stuff that I'm good at. I think this is the stuff the Lord has blessed me with. This is the gifting he's given me. This is the stuff that I'm okay at. I can do it, but it's exhausting. This is the stuff that I'm really not that great at. So I'm going to need people or we're going to need to be a team together where 
together as a group, we are stronger. Hey, you can do, or could you do X, Y, and Z? Um, mm. Now, again, that means potentially slowing down a bit because you might need to find people within your core group who can compliment you in that way. But yeah, it, yeah, it's okay not to be perfect because clearly we're not perfect and actually the Lord Jesus is perfect and we just need to follow mm. him. But again, it takes humility to say, help me with this because I can't right. do it and I will need people around me who can, who can come alongside and who can compliment me and I'll bring my strengths, but my weaknesses too. And I think too, it almost is like we've accepted insufficient as being okay. So we are, we're sufficient at what God has gifted us in. And then we do the other things thinking no one else can do them and being insufficient in them and not excelling in them and thinking that, oh, we can stay and sustain this and it's totally fine and it's totally acceptable. Yeah. No, and no. in there lies a ton of trip falls, not only for the planter, but for the congregation, because there could be people within your core team or even outside of your core team that's coming to the church that have those giftings, that have yep. that area. And if you're, we're so clenched fisted yep. in how we want things done, even. Yep. So yeah, there yeah. might be a church planter who's gifted in administration, but is that really the best use of your time when you have somebody who is also gifted in administration? Absolutely. And for them to thrive and be fruitful as they get the opportunity to serve because you've been honest is a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of the conclusions that you came to with the problems on the outside of the plant? Because obviously there's tons of nuance yeah. to what happens internally within a plant, but some of the things that are outside of the plant can be applicable in multiple scenarios. They can. And that's probably worth saying, actually. This, in one sense, this isn't really a study about church planting. It is more a study about doing ministry under the sun in a world of the world, the flesh and the devil in the world of thorns and thistles. This is what ministry looks like. And there are a few things that are related specifically to planting, but in reality, lots of it is just normal ministry life. So some of the things, and this is yeah, one of the reasons I'm happy to talk about this is that one of the first one particularly was just, there was such a naivety among some planters that they just assumed they would succeed because, Hey, if Tim Keller can do it and the Lord can bless him from whatever it was, a hundred people up to however many thousand now, or whoever it is, pick your favorite kind of pastor planter and think, ah, oh, they went from 20 to 2000 and planted 25 along the way, then that's going to be me. And just having the opportunity to hear some of the stories of people who struggled and failed or who are still limping along even and just a bit more honesty, a bit more reality about the pain, mm. I think has just created a culture again of just healthy humility. So there's stuff there. Another one, and this is again, a, chatting to a guy today, there's similar stuff here, but the relationship with the parent plant. So where you've got like a mother church and a daughter church coming off it, a strawberry runner model, you might call it, being, having clarity early on as to what's expected really matters. So lots of it is often about relationship, but what happens if the relationship breaks down or the pastor leaves, then actually having stuff in place written down has been really helpful. So I. Sometimes churches have what we'd call a memorandum of understanding. You're going to, you're going to financially support us for five years initially. And this is the proportion, this is the money that you will give. And I'll have 
this many meetings with the senior pastor once a month or this many people or whatever it is, and just having clarity there as to expectations. Now, obviously there are different models for planting, but of that kind of mother-daughter model, that, I think that's quite important. And often it can be quite damaging and there can be relational breakdown when there are assumptions made that weren't backed up by reality. We've already talked about the contextualization stuff. So just, yeah, control C, control V doesn't work often when it comes mm. to planting. Sometimes there's practicality stuff too, that you just don't get the thing that you think you need. So hang on, the Lord has not provided a building for us. Does he want this plant to happen or not? Maybe we need to rethink the structure. Maybe you're, I don't know, maybe there are ways around that. Maybe we need mm. to. And then the other one I think is increasingly true and common. It's just opposition. So in an increasingly kind of secularizing West, we're feeling more of that, more in terms of words and legislation and physical threats. But again, I can think of friends locally who just in the last couple of weeks have been uh, pushed out of the school that they were hiring because of the orthodox view of things like marriage and the gospel. Or I think of opposition, a friend who planted in Papua New Guinea and the kind of pagan culture around the new converts just meant they were massively opposed or one planter I spoke to in India who the kind of government legislation against them was, was just painful and horrible. Or indeed there can be opposition from within your own denominations. I think of particularly a, a, an Anglican pastor, I spoke to a planter who other members within their diocese, again, because they were conservative in terms of their theology. Other members in the diocese were vehemently opposed to them in such a way that mm. the plant ended up shutting. Wow. So when you're in more more mixed denominations or when there's less of a kind of consensus on core theology, then that can be particularly painful, I think. Yeah. And that's a, an interesting development in this recent culture yeah. of really that hasn't, there's been things obviously prior to this cultural context that we find ourselves in now but the interesting thing of of church planters not only having to contend with people outside of their denomination or outside of their church the lost but also within their own denomination if they decide to have a more conservative theology having to deal with outside pressure and outside force from within their own family really of, of churches is such an interesting development as far as church planting is concerned. Yeah, yeah, it's massive, isn't it? And yeah, it's just, yeah, I think we will increasingly see it. I think probably as, I guess, the Anglican church, at least within the UK, will begin to continue to schism a bit, then there'll be more and more of that, which is very sad. But, uh, but yeah, I think well, probably inevitable. Yeah, and I it's interesting too, because you have these churches that have participated in the uh, C of E, for instance, for mm. so long that now they're questioning whether they're going to remain and whatnot. And you're almost at a point where you're like, you're going to be replanting your church. Yeah. And it's such an interesting viewpoint and look at, okay, how is that going to work? Yeah. What, what's going to happen with that? And so I think we're in a really interesting season to, to see what church planting looks like and what church replanting looks like in the next coming years. But I wanted to ask this, this section, not getting what we want, 65% said that. So is that in reference to the relationship with the parent church or is that in relation with just not getting enough of feedback from the community, new believers, baptism, that sort of thing? 
There was is more a kind of practical element of, okay, we don't seem to be able to, we've not been able to fundraise what we thought we needed, or we've not been able to get the right gifts or the right people. We haven't got someone who's good with kids who can look after the kids' work, or we've not got someone who can play the guitar. And Lord, we're asking you for these things, but you're not providing them. And interestingly, it was COVID when yeah. I did most of the field work. And so that was, I think that catalyzed some of these things as well. So that, yeah, that was part of the pain of it was that COVID just seemed to turn up the dial on stuff. And so I guess my question then, if you're not getting enough money or if you're not, the Lord isn't providing financially, then maybe you need to slow down and be more, do more fundraising and be more patient. Maybe you need to think bivocationally. Perhaps that's, I mean, I've got a friend quite up near you actually in Inverness who started off working in Starbucks and he did that partly because financially it helped things out, but also yeah. it meant he able to make some amazing links and friendships within the community. Or, or you've not got a kids worker. Okay. Or you've not got someone to look after the kids. Okay. Then maybe you need to think about, is the Lord leading you to do a slightly different model whereby, I don't know, the kids are in for the whole service or whatever it might be. But again, there's a kind of, there's crossover there with the contextualization stuff. Yeah. You've just copy and pasted from your mother church. Huh. Maybe by nature of the, the things that haven't been provided, the Lord is nudging you towards rethinking. And just because they do it that way, it doesn't mean necessarily you need to. No, maybe the Lord is wanting to slow down or the Lord is, for now, you know, trust me, you've not got a musician. Okay. Then we'll sing a cappella. We will mm. use a CD, we, whatever it is. Yeah. Or maybe it's, okay, let's rethink how we do this. And why have we made the decisions we've made in terms of the model of church we're going to follow? Perhaps by nature of the context that we're in and the, the non-provision, then we need to rethink. Yeah. Mm. It, yeah. Is it almost because of the rigidity that is, is almost assumed? Yeah. You think, well, this is how you do church. This is how I've seen it done. And yeah, but I suspect if you travel around the world and spoke to brothers and sisters in all kinds of contexts, you would realize there's probably a bit more, a bit more variety than you think. And maybe you've mm. got a few blind spots there, or maybe you've made some assumptions as to how you do church when you're just thinking in your culture and your situation and context. And perhaps there are different leg legitimate ways of doing church life that you're not aware of. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about the one point in your conclusion and and one question, because you have yeah. a further question section. So the point that you make in your conclusion, I'm going to read it. It seems to me we ought to specifically make space for respect, look after, listen to, and learn from those who have significantly struggled both in for the purpose of creating a better culture of vulnerability and honesty, but also in helping upcoming planters have a more realistic expectation of what church planting involves. First of all, amen. I 100% agree. But the question that I have with that is asking people to be vulnerable or like start being vulnerable is such a hard thing because in church culture, we have, we're human. Like we judge and we hold things over one another and we hold things against one another. And it's almost as if we've, we, vulnerability is like that trigger word, right? Where we, oh. everybody wants it, but nobody wants to start it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could be right. Yep. So yeah, how I mean, do we get there? How do we get there? So 
I, did you know, one of the things that's encouraged me off the back of this has been, as I say, I'm part of the A29 network, loosely at least. And I know there's, there's all, I guess some of your listeners will have questions with regards to me. And I know that it's got a history and stuff it doesn't do very well in the past or actually one of the things that's impressed me has been the humility of wanting to learn from where they've got stuff wrong in the past. Mm. And you, you won't see all that kind of upfront necessarily on social media, that kind of stuff behind the scenes, there are some really helpful, humble conversations going on. So actually off the back of my study, they've made a free 12 week kind of video syllabus where I talk for 10 or 12 minutes, raise the issue. I'm the kind of bad guy. I, I raise the, and then they get other people in who come and say, oh, okay, disunity. Yeah. Let me tell you about how we dealt with that within all. And so they're looking at ways that they've got stuff wrong, but also ways in which we can learn. So I just think different networks, different tribes, different groups, it just takes some of us to be willing to stick our necks out a bit and say, mm. uh, I'm not perfect. And actually the gospel means I can be honest and the gospel means it's okay to fail and get stuff wrong. And the gospel means my identity isn't tied up in how well my plant is doing. So I'm not going to do the kind of, here's my Sunday gathering photo and you do it just so you can get as many people in the fit as possible. <laughs> so it looks as, but actually just saying, I'm really, I found it really hard last Sunday because mm. th three families were away and that meant we were 15 people or something. And actually to, now again, there's a culture thing there of needing funders to understand that's okay. Because that matters because they're saying, hang on, you're, we're giving you money and where are the people? And mm. So there's, but I think it, it just means that, yeah, we just need some people to slightly stick their necks out and be honest. And as I say, off the back of this study, the Lord seems to have opened opportunities for me to, yeah, if I can say, hey, these might be some issues that you're facing. Does that resonate at all? Then people go, yeah, and I feel that. Or I feel like number seven, the kind of planting culture one, I don't feel I could admit that I'm finding it hard. Or maybe it's the planting networks to say, do you know what, for the next big conference we're going to have, we're going to interview someone whose plant is closed and we're going to give them 45 minutes and ask them some honest and hard questions. And actually, I think that begins to then catalyze others being, yeah, do you know, I'm finding it hard as well, or I'm struggling too. So I don't know. So there's, yeah. So we need to be honest. Our kind of network leaders need to give yeah. space for those kinds of conversations. Come and touch Boy. me. I'm happy to, yeah, if there are ways that I can help facilitate that. So mm. I think one of the things I'm aware of is that this study facilitates discussion and facilitates honesty. Yeah. And so that's why, yeah, that's why I've been just blown away by mm. different responses to it. Cause people, I think are looking for ways to do that. And it just, yeah. anyway, there we go. I'll stop talking. And going, and, no, everything that you've said is right on. I think that to, to summarize it, it's proactively seeking vulnerability and i would love to go to a conference where somebody got up and said hey this is why my church plant failed let's learn from this because the thing is that we all want to look at successes of church planting and learn from the successes but the reality is and everybody will say this right they'll say this with their mouth i learned more from failing than i did from succeeding we've heard that from every inventor throughout history yep. i, I yep. learned how to make a light bulb wrong 99 times, but I only needed to learn how to make it right once. Yeah. All those things, we we say it in our churches, we say it in our sermons, we use it as analogies mm -hmm. and, and different things. But when it comes down to it, we're much more apt to want to look at successes and be like, what are the gems that I can take from there? Yeah. Rather than, man, this guy totally, it fell flat of yeah. success. 
yeah. I have things to learn from him. It's almost a devaluing of the person's attempt than valuing what they did yeah. and what they learned. Someone said, I can't remember who it was now, somebody said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and assuming it's going to be a different result. Mm. It seems to me within the church planting world, we just do the same thing again and come up with the same problems again and again, rather than listening and learning from those who have struggled. Yeah. So maybe we're just a bit insane. Yeah, (laughs) we definitely are that. But the last question I have for you, and I probably should have started with this question, but hopefully you can answer. You, You say further questions. What criteria do we use to define success and failure in the church planting world? So what's the criteria? What should we be looking at as far as defining a church plant as success or not? <laughs> yeah, I'm the guy who asks the questions. I'm not the guy with all the answers. <laughs> I think, so it's always a balance, isn't it? We want to be wise with the things that the Lord has given to us and that we steward for him. And so there is a sense in which he will ask us to give an account for the things that he's entrusted to us. What have we done with those talents? And we want to be using them faithfully and generously. And so that's one end of the spectrum. How are you using what the Lord has given to you? And then the other end of the spectrum is, and yet within that, we want to be pushing and praying and dreaming and, and not just being so careful and conservative that we don't take any risks and yet not at the other end taking risks in such a way that it's just ludicrous. And so that's the question is how do you both steward what you've got and yet in a way that pushes you beyond your limits? It's not just a question of us doing things that we could do in our own strength, but recognizing that we are out of our depth and, and having to trust him. And sometimes things work and sometimes things don't, and that's okay. It's okay to be brave and prayerful and try something, but it doesn't work. So I think what does success look like? I think success looks like faithfully stewarding what the Lord has given to us in such a way that we are having to trust him and lean on him Mm. and rely on him rather than just keeping well within our comfort zone, kind of keeping in at the shallow end and yet not being so crazy as to invest everything into a thing that is unlikely now, yeah, to fly. But the problem is then is that that we are within our own comfort zone again. I think it's complicated. Yeah. Stewarding the stuff well in a way that's out of our comfort zone and yet not to do it crazily so that we are wasteful and again, not stewarding. Yeah. I want to point out for anybody listening that he didn't say a number and that he didn't say a financial stability in your budget or growth, or tithing members, or new baptism. He, I think that it's so important to understand that success is defined by Christ. Yeah. And failure is beloved by him. And I I think that's so important because we can be so afraid of failing that we never try. But that's not what God called us to, right? He called us to go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples and baptize them and teach them his word. And that isn't the successful thing is you going out and doing it. Not how many people come, not how many people give, not how many people believe. And I think that's so important, but that doesn't mean that we can't have success. It just means that we shouldn't be afraid of failure. 
So Dan, I just want to thank you so much for making the time. And I hope to have you on again, because I loved Nuance's conversation about this space. I love having an open, transparent conversation about failing, failing church plant. And, and I think vulnerability is necessary to, in order to, con- to continue the work of the Lord in a culture, in a world that is desiring transparency from churches, from Christians, and not having this hidden mentality or this hidden ideology, but having transparency in church is so important. So thank you, man, for writing this, for doing these statistics and giving us this document. You, brother, you are very welcome. It's been a real joy to speak to you. I'd love to come on again. I found it really stimulating. And yeah, we can solve the problems of the church planting world together. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Absolutely. It was my pleasure, man. Again, I would just like to thank Dan for coming on the podcast, for sharing his statistics, his wisdom, just his heart towards church planting and towards church planters. And I want to re-emphasize that this article that Dan wrote is for the church planters' benefit. It's it's not a, a, a negative look at church planting or failing church plants or failed church plants. It's not to harp on or to abuse church planters in any way, shape, or form. We can use this tool right now in whatever network you're a part of, whether that be a Calvary Chapel, whether that be with senders, whatever network you're a part of, whatever denomination you find yourself in, if you're in this space of church planting, or even as Dan said, this is ministry under the sun. So whoever you are, wherever you are, this article, these statistics, this lesson of looking at church plants that fail in the face and asking the question, why, can be helpful for all of us we can learn from this and we can apply the lessons that are brought out of this. And we can also have a deeper nuanced conversation with our networks. If you're a church that's already established, you can have deep nuanced conversation with your staff members, with other people, get other perspectives. Let this be something that grows us into a, a deeper understanding of how we can do ministry in a more effective, in a more God-glorifying, Christ-exalting way. So, Dan, thank you so much again for, for all the hard work that you put into this, for the, the love and effort that you is, is displayed on, on this entire article. For our last and final episode of this season, I am very excited to have the wonderful and brilliant Joy Metzger on the podcast. Her and her husband, Phil Metzger, have been in full-time ministry for a number of decades. They are both wise and patient. They've helped plant churches. They've planted churches themselves. And 
Joy and I get to have a conversation about the wives of church planters who really themselves are church planters and who really are the engine in in my opinion in my perspective they're the engine of of the church plant so i'm very excited for you guys to hear that be on the lookout for that in the next two weeks and i'm excited for you guys to hear from her with that all being said as i say every time i hope and i pray that you continue to glorify and magnify the Lord in whatever season you find yourself in.